We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Is that okay with you? All right. You know me. Anybody who's, who's been here for any period of time know that we like to start and end with the word, don't we? The word is our final answer. It's our final course. But I want to do something before we start reading the words of Jesus. I want to spend a little bit of time telling you uh, about some history. Today is St. Patrick's Day. And um, St. Patrick's Day has probably been just as twisted as every other holy day out there. Um, I think I think Patrick himself would be horrified to hear that we have a day after him anyways, um, because I'm sure he'd want the day to be about, he'd want every day to be about Jesus and not about him. If you've read any of his writings, you know he wouldn't have liked that. Uh, he sure wouldn't have liked it to be a, a day about green beer and, and uh, you know, fighting in the street. That, that probably would not be his idea. But I want to tell you a little bit about the man because I believe you'll be inspired by him. Uh, legend has taken over as, 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 as often happens, especially when the medieval church got a hold of any, any saint or, you know, we're all saints, right? Uh, any, uh, any medieval, the medieval church got a hold of any stories, they would, it'd be like a, a terrible game of telephone where by the end of it, this person has done things that, that, you know, never really happened. Okay. So Patrick didn't drive the snakes out of Ireland. You know, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't a leprechaun or anything like that. But, but let me tell you a little bit about the man. He was a, a, a Romano-Briton, and what that means is the Romans had come and, and settled in Britain, and they'd conquered Britain, and for a while the British were, were very strong against the Romans. They were very uh, upset that the Romans were there. They resisted them. But after a while, uh, the Roman way kind of took over on the island, uh, on the, you know, the island of, of Britain, you know, that... that I know now we don't call it the island of Britain, but not just England, but even up a little bit into Wales, or not up into Wales, but England and Wales, and uh, even up a little bit uh, to the north where the Picti were, it kind of pushed forward. And uh, so this, this area was settled by the Romans. Patrick was a Briton who was very Roman in his lifestyle, and in fact, he was a, a nominal Christian. How many of you have ever been at some point in your life what you'd call a nominal Christian. You said you were a Christian, but there really was no relationship with Jesus in your life. Have you ever had that? There never was any fruit of a relationship. It was just uh, your parents are Christian, so you're a Christian. That's the way Patrick was. We don't know what he did when he was 15 or around that age. But he did something that later in his life his accusers would use against him. He committed a big sin, as he called it. He didn't say what it was, and that's fine with me, but he did something pretty big because he wasn't, um, wasn't really, in, in his mind, he was just a, just a Christian just because he went to church, not because he knew Jesus. Something happened to him. He was kidnapped by Irish raiders, and they took him back and, and made him a slave in Ireland. And as he was a, a slave in Ireland, he was a, a shepherd. They forced, they, they made him look after the sheep, which if you're going to be a slave, that's not a bad job, I guess, except in Irish winters, that can't be fun, you know, sitting out there with the sheep. But they, they made him uh, take care of the sheep, and for six years, he was a slave, and something happened in those six years. He met Jesus. Wonderful thing is he met Jesus. His life was turned around. He said he used to pray night and day. Just, just, I mean, he fell in love with Jesus out in the pasture with those sheep. And he'd pray night and day. It'd be snowing and ice falling on him, and he'd just be having the greatest time with Jesus. He said, he said as the snow and the ice were hitting my face, my heart was burning within me. One day, 
hears God speak to him. Now, this guy hasn't heard God speak to him before because, well, he might have heard a little bit, but, but not really much in his life because before this experience, he wasn't even really a Christian. He was just a, you know, born into a Christian family, into a so-called Christian culture. One day, the Lord speaks to him and says, your fast is almost over. You're about to be free. He wakes up in the middle of the night, and the Lord says, your ship is here. Leave. Nobody ever escapes from these guys, but the Lord spoke. So he went, and he, he goes, and he finds this ship. God said, your ship is here. So he goes, and he finds this ship. And the guy says, I'm not going to take you. You're a runaway slave. You don't have any money for me. I'm not going to take you. And so Patrick begins to walk away, and all of a sudden, for no reason, the captain calls up behind him and goes, wait, come back. He gets on that ship, and they begin to call him the holy boy. This is what they call him. And in fact, when he was a believer in Ireland, once, once he really gave his life to Jesus, they started calling him the holy boy. Holy boy, holy boy, as an insult. But this, this group that he's with... They start hearing the gospel on the ship. I mean, because you're trapped on a ship. What are you going to do? You jump overboard? You're going to hear the gospel. And as they get land, as they hit land, they're wandering for a bit, and they're very, very hungry. And, and let me tell you where I'm getting this stuff from. I'm not getting this. You're not getting this from the legends. You're not getting this from the, from the extra writings. But Patrick wrote two letters, and we have those letters today. One letter he called his confession. This was his letter uh, written to his fellow believers. And then he wrote another letter called the letters of Patrick uh, to Caracas and uh, his, his soldiers. And I believe I pronounced that right. So he wrote these two letters, and that's where we get the real history of Patrick. Not all this drove the snakes out of Ireland, you know, drank green beer, all that stuff. But he wrote these two letters, and we find out about his life. And one of the stories he told about this letter in this letter was that when he got off with these guys on the land, they began to starve because they didn't have any food. Their food had run out. And they said, okay, Christian, okay, holy boy, if your God is real, then ask him to feed us because we're dying here. He says, oh, my God is real. He says, in in fact, I tell you what, I'm going to pray to God, and you're not going to go hungry again. As he prayed to God, Immediately, I mean, like, he, he had barely said amen, and a whole herd of swine kind of came in the road. They, they ate the swine, they ate the pigs, they, they were happy, and from that day forward, there was fruit, there was were, there were stuff that they could pick, there was stuff they could eat, they didn't go hungry again. Well, he gets back to, to Britain, he gets back to his homeland, and he, he trains to become a preacher, he trains to become a, a priest, a bishop. And he's ordained by the church, and they send him back to Ireland. He wasn't the first guy to bring the gospel to Ireland, but as in his words, he brought it to the, the realms that it hadn't been preached before. He expanded it. He took it to the ends of the earth as he knew it. And as he goes, I want to read you some things that he said. Because what happened was, when he was a young man, he found Jesus in Ireland. He went back to his homeland free, not a slave anymore. And then he has a dream. And in that dream, he sees a man, an Irish man. And he's got these letters in his hands, and he gives these letters to Patrick. And as Patrick looks at these letters, the letters read, Voice of the Irish. And through that dream, the Lord told him, you're going to go back to Ireland and preach the gospel. Back to the people that made you a slave. Back to the people that 
took you and kidnapped you from your very home, back to the people that mistreated you, back to the people that beat you, back to the people that treated you terribly, you're going to go back to them and preach my gospel. He goes back to Ireland. In fact, one of the things he said is, he says, I'm a stranger and and an exile amongst barbarians and pagans because God cares for them. He says this, I'm going to read you a couple of things that he said because I think that this will change your view of this day. He says, I am then first of all countryfied and exile, evidently unlearned, one who's not able to see into the future, but I know for certain that before I was humbled, I was like a stone lying in deep mire, and he that is mighty came and in his mercy raised me up And indeed lifted me high up and placed me on top of the wall. And from there I ought to shout out in gratitude to the Lord for his great favors in this world and forever that the mind of man cannot measure. Therefore be amazed, you great and small who fear God. And you men of God, eloquent speakers, listen and contemplate. Who was it summoned me, a fool, from the midst of those who appear wise and learned in the law and powerful in rhetoric and in all things? Me, truly wretched in this world, he inspired before others that I could be, if I would, such a one who with fear and reverence and faithfully without complaint would come to the people to whom the love of Christ brought me and gave me in my lifetime if I should be worthy to serve them truly and with humility. According, therefore, to the measure of one's faith in God, one should proceed without holding back from danger to make known the gift of God and everlasting consolation, to spread God's name everywhere with confidence and without fear, in order to leave behind after my death foundations for my brethren and sons, whom I baptized in the Lord in so many thousands. And I was not worthy, nor was I such that the Lord would grant his humble servant this, that after hardships and after such great trials, after captivity, after many years, he should give me so much favor in these people, a thing which in the time of my youth I neither hoped for nor imagined. But after I reached Ireland, and he talks about his slave days, he says, I used to pass through the flock every day. This is when he was just a shepherd. I used to pray many times a day. More and more did the love of God and my fear of him and faith increase And my spirit was so moved so that in a day I said from one up to a hundred prayers and in the night a like number. Besides, I used to stay out in the forest and on the mountain and I would wake up before daylight to pray in the snow, in icy coldness, in rain. And I used to feel neither ill nor any slothfulness because as I now see, the spirit was burning in me at that time. Thank God. If you ever want to read those letters, you can find them Uh, Amazon or wherever the letters of St. Patrick guys I want you to know that he was no more a saint than you or I the reason we can be called saints is by the blood of Jesus not by any good that you've done and Patrick would be the first to say that but I want you to know that I'm inspired by a story like that here's a man who is lukewarm at best in his faith in Jesus He was in the youth group, but didn't really believe. He was in the youth group and didn't protest, didn't say, I don't believe that stuff, but at the same time, there was no fire, there was no passion. When he was taken as a slave, he had some time to think. He 
God visited Patrick. And here's a man who, as he said, is countryfied, unlearned, not well spoken. God used him and sent him back to the very people that made him a slave. And he preached the gospel with power and with miracles. Not the miracles of driving all the snakes out of Ireland, but the same sort of miracles you see in the book of Acts happen in his ministry. In fact, he didn't know it, but I've read some of his writings, and it seems to me that he had an experience of speaking in tongues that he didn't know what to call it. He said, he said the Lord was speaking to me in words I didn't understand. They were beautiful. And he said, I was a little worried. I didn't know what language it was. It sounded beautiful to me. He said, and I, I heard the Lord say, it's that spirit I put in you. And he said, I thought back to Romans 8 that says, when I don't know how to pray, the spirit prays through me and groanings too deep for words. He said, I realized it was the Lord praying through me. This is the guy that had a day named after him today. This isn't about drinking. It's not about fighting. It's not about being Irish. It's about a man willing to go and love his enemies. It's about a man willing to go and preach the gospel where he hadn't been named before. In fact, you know the whole clover thing? Patrick doesn't say this, but stories tell us it's true, so you can judge it for yourself. But they say that the whole clover thing came out of Patrick picking up a three-leaf clover and saying, let me explain to you the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but they're all one. It's still all one clover here. Three parts, one being. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And I wanted to give you some real history of the day. So, you know, it's not, about, it's not about being green. It's not about drinking. It's not about all those things. It's okay to dress green. I don't mind that. But what the day is really about, I mean, we don't need to celebrate the day. But if you do, remember the man who went and preached the gospel to people that had enslaved him, who obeyed the voice of God, obeyed the call of God, even though it was scary, even though it was frightening. He was, in fact, going into a place where he could easily be taken a slave again. But he preached the gospel, and he said, I am a stranger and an exile amongst barbarians and pagans because God cares for them. Isn't that wonderful? It's going to lead us into what we're reading in Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching his disciples and the people gathered. He says in Matthew 5, 43, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, some of you might have a Bible. How many of you have a Bible that when it quotes from the Old Testament, the words are in capital letters or they're italicized or something. You can tell when it's a quote, right? Do you notice when you're reading that, that you shall love your neighbor is the quote and the hate your enemy is not a quote? You know why? Because God didn't say you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He just said you shall love your neighbor. That's the quote. But they added it and they said, well, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, come on, guys. Who says your neighbor can't be your enemy too, right? <laughs> We've been there. You sh you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus turns that around. In verse 44, he says this. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now, first of all, that's a powerful thought that we would have enemies. 
the word enemy here comes from the word for hate. Love the ones that hate you. Love the ones that you feel like you should hate. Love your enemies. And here's a big one. And pray for those who persecute you. Now, sometimes we think, what should I pray for these that persecute me? I know. I'll pray for those that persecute me. I'll pray that their car breaks down. I'll pray that I'll pray that they, they suddenly have a, a sharp shooting pain in their stomach. I, you know, but that's not what he's talking about. You know that. He doesn't say pray against them. He says pray for them. And you know if you began to pray that, God wouldn't answer your prayer anyways. John, James and John, the sons, sons of thunder, as they were called, said to Jesus after a village rejected him, they said, Jesus, why don't we just call down fire on this place? Why don't we just toast it? Why don't we just make them pay for rejecting you? And Jesus turned to them and said, you don't know what spirit you're from. In other words, the spirit of revenge that you have in you, even when you think it's righteous revenge, even when you think it's righteous anger, even when you think you're doing it on behalf of Jesus. Because you know, when someone hurts you, you know you probably shouldn't respond. But sometimes you think, oh, but Lord, they're hurting you. I'm not angry for me, I'm angry for you. I'm sticking up for you here like he can't stick up for himself. Oh, Lord, I'm offended, not because it's me, but because it's you. Oh, I'm greatly offended on behalf of the Lord. Don't you think God's big enough not to get offended over every little thing? And Jesus says, that spirit, and I want you to know because we've all felt that rise up in us. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. In other words, translation, that's not the Holy Spirit. Guess what it is? The desire for revenge in you is not from God. There is a righteous anger. But the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. That righteous anger responds with love. What does the Bible say? Oh, it says, don't, don't fight evil with evil. Don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. We'll revisit that thought in a minute. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Now, this love your enemies. I want you to think about the guy that said this. And I want you to think about what his definition of love is. Because if his love is, as I've said before, if all his love is is warm fuzzies, is thinking nice thoughts, sending a, valent a Garfield Valentine's Day card, because you had a whole box, you might as well pass them out. That's what you, that version of love is. We'd all be dead because Jesus wouldn't have died for us. If that's how he loved us, just felt nice about us, just didn't hate us actively. <laughs> Sometimes our definition, when we read this verse, our definition of love is just not, just not active hate. Just not, not <laughs> love my enemies, which means I won't punch you in the face. What did Jesus do with his love? He put his life down for you. He bore your sin. He didn't bear his sin. And guess what, God? This is the Son of God. He and the Father. He said, if, he said I and the Father are one. So your sin wasn't just sin against somebody else. Your sin was a sin against him. It's easy to forgive sin, when someone sins against someone else, right? You can get over that. 
But when someone sins against you and you're the one offended, you're the one hurt, that's a little bit harder. He said, when he loved us, he, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us at the right time and he died for us. This sin stuff that we just talk about like it's a, an idea up there, it was actually directly a, an affront and a rebellion against him. And yet his response to that was not just to say, it's okay, I'll let it go. His response to that was to bear our punishment, was to put it on his own back. That's what love does. Now put this in the context. You cannot read love without thinking of Jesus. And you can't think of Jesus without thinking of that sacrifice that he made for you. So when you read this, love your enemies, I want you to see the cross in the middle of that verse. Love your enemies as Christ has loved you. And pray for those who persecute you. How many of you think that prayer does something? We have... We have got to get our brains out of a culture, out of a society that has trained us that praying is something you just do because you're pious, but it doesn't make a difference. That God will just do whatever he wants to do anyways. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man has much effect. It does a lot. Peter's life was saved because the church prayed for him. Paul said his life was saved because the church prayed for him. I mean, this is a big thing. It's not a small thing. So when we say pray for those who persecute you, don't you know that that's having an effect? Do you think those words are just hitting the ceiling? Do you think it's just therapeutic for you? These words are having an effect on the very person that's persecuting you and not in a, let's get them. I hope they come down with fever. It's changing something. Because as God is love, so am I. Here's the thing that's happening. It's not just changing them. Thank God it's changing me. It's making me more like Jesus. Yes. I want you to see the rest of this. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, remember what I said. When we pray for them, it changes something in their world, doesn't it? It affects their world, but not just them. Here's the other part. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, now you say, but I'm already his son. I'm already his daughter. Yes, you are. But what he's saying is that you'll prove to be. You'll, you'll take on his nature. You'll take on his character. You'll be the sons of your father who's in heaven, for he causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, I've heard some people use this verse. You've heard it before. Some people have used this verse to say, oh, you know, bad stuff happened to everybody. The Lord sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But somebody who says that has never lived in the Middle East. Because only in North America where we'd rather, where we want to play baseball, only in North America would we say that rain is a bad thing. This is rain that causes your crops to grow. Both the sun and the rain are good gifts from the Father. Oh, he causes rain. Thank God for the rain. 
it's not just North America, it's, it's the city kids in North America, right? Some of you, some of you uh, rural folks are shaking your head like, I've never thought rain was bad. So let me just clarify, it's us city kids that wanted to go out and play street hockey. It's us that were mad at the rain. What he's saying here is God causes his good gifts to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. Even though we don't deserve it, he does it. The next verse says this in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. I always wonder when I read this what Matthew was thinking. One of his disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. <laughs> Jesus, do you have to use my profession as an insult all the time? <laughs> Could you imagine that? If I just said, you know, even hairdressers do that, gosh. <laughs> even hairdressers know better than that. Even hairstylists know better. I'm just picking on the hairstylist in the room. He says, even the tax collectors do that. Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a big thought, isn't it? And that would be impossible if not for the Holy Spirit inside of you. To love when you didn't feel like you could love. To pray when you didn't think like you could pray. I want you to see that he says, when you love and when you pray for these people, he says, if you just love those who love you, what reward do you have? And what does that mean? It means when you love those that hate you, there's a reward for that. It changes their situation and it changes yours. It says when we do this, we become like our Father. We become like Jesus. We become like him more and more every day. Now, this is a wonderful thought. And we've heard it before. And you know, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you go, that Jesus, wasn't he wonderful? But this is something that's got to change Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If any of you have, been, have done business accounting or anything like that, you know that you have accounts receivable and accounts payable. Accounts receivable are the debts that people owe you. Accounts payable are the debts that you owe others. When Jesus bore your sin, when he adopted you, when he took your life and you took his, he took your accounts payable. Thank God, because it was a big debt. You had a debt you never could pay, and he took that debt. But when he took your accounts payable, he took your accounts receivable. You no longer have the right to hold debts from somebody else. Jesus gives the example of the servant who owed a lot of money, more than he could ever pay. In fact, in our currency, it'd be billions of dollars. And the master forgives it and says, your debt is clear. Then this guy goes and he finds somebody that owes him a few thousand and he shakes him up for it. And when the guy can't pay, he throws him in debtor's prison. And Jesus says, how silly is this? He had so, so great a debt forgiven. And then he goes and he can't forgive this little debt. And he does that to show us this, that whenever you feel like you can't forgive somebody, you need to stop and think of how much you've been forgiven. And I'm not just talking about letting it go. 
This is what a lot of us, when we get mature, we say, okay, I'm mature enough. I'm, I'm loving enough. I'm going to just let it go. I'm not going to think about them anymore. Instead of, instead of hating them, instead of being mad, instead of going at home alone in your, in your room and just, just playing out a conversation that you wish you had with them, you know, where you really told them how you felt, instead of putting some passive-aggressive message on Facebook that doesn't address them directly but addresses them generally, you know, then you say, oh, I'm just going to let it go. I just won't think about them anymore. But Jesus is asking you to go a step further than that. You see, if I just let it go, that situation's not going to change. It won't get worse, but it won't get better. But if I get on my knees and I pray for them, another, another version of what he just said in, in, in another gospel, it says, bless them. The Lord put the power of blessing in your mouth. And the blessing of the Lord changes things. You have the power to bless somebody. I know we'd like to just bless the people that treat us nice. But he's saying bless the ones that persecute you. I want you to know what that word persecute is. That's not just somebody that treated you bad once or twice. That's the word for persecute means that they, they sought you, they hunted you down. This is the word that's used to describe the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, and he, it says he hunted Christians down. You ever felt like somebody had it out for you? Like it wasn't just a chance encounter, like they've really got it out for you, like they're spending their time trying to make life miserable? No, you guys are just popular. But other people deal with these things. Maybe you haven't dealt with persecution like these guys had to. But this is a kind of persecution where somebody is actively hunting you down to do you evil. He says, get on your knees and pray for that person and love them. And the, love, the God kind of love, the Jesus kind of love does not just say, I no longer hate you. The Jesus kind of love doesn't say, I think nice thoughts about you. The Jesus kind of love says, how can I put my life down? How can I lay my life down for this person? This is the call of our master. And he gave us his spirit and his love so we could get it done. Do you guys remember the story of Jonah? You know, I used to always think that the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he was scared of the Ninevites. So that's why he avoided. But you know what Jonah tells us? He, he tells us straight out. He, in fact, he tells God why he ran, why he went. For those of you that don't, don't know, God told the prophet Jonah, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria, may, the Assyrians make the Nazis look like Girl Scouts. They were bad. If you went into an Assyrian king's court, you'd have pictures of, on the walls of how he tortured those that made him mad. And if I told you what they did, we would not be able to have the kids in the room. So I won't. Don't plug their ears or anything. I won't do it. They were bad dudes. And I imagine Jonah knew some people who had been mistreated like that, who had been taken slaves. They took their slaves by the mouth with fish hooks because they served a fish god. They skinned many of their prisoners alive. So Jonah doesn't want to go to these people. 
And I used to think it was because he was afraid because they were bad dudes. Do you know what he says to God? The reason I ran and went the other way was because I knew you were a merciful God. And I didn't want them to get mercy. See, he wasn't afraid for his life. He wasn't afraid that they'd beat him or torture him. He was afraid that God would forgive them. He said, I knew you were a merciful God. I knew you were loving. I knew you were quick to, uh, too quick to forgive and slow to anger. And I didn't want him to be forgiven. <laughs> so you know the story. He goes and he preaches. He doesn't put his all effort into it. He just says, just letting you know. Because he first ran away and they threw him overboard because it was a storm. God sent a, a giant sea creature of some sort to, to swallow him and keep him. <laughs> Three days spits him out. He comes out smelling like fish amongst the people who worship a fish god. How convenient. And he goes and he preaches to him and he says, if you don't repent in this amount of time, God's going to destroy your, he's going to destroy this whole city. The king hears this and he goes, let's all repent. He says, I don't know how to repent to this God, so we're going to go overboard. Nobody's eating. Our dogs aren't eating. Our cows aren't eating. Our babies aren't eating. Nobody's eating. We fast and we pray and we put sackcloth and ashes on. I bet the animals were like, what did I do wrong? Really? <laughs> and they repent. Jonah, meanwhile, has taken up position on the top of a hill with just, just ready, just waiting to see the big show. I can't wait for this city to be destroyed, and I got a front row seat. Now, you think Jonah sounds like a bad guy, but you got to think about what, what you felt before when you think of a guy like Hitler, a guy like Osama bin Laden. This is how he feels about the Assyrians. They're not nice people. They've hurt his relatives. They've tortured people. He wants them to get what they deserve, but they repent. And he sees the deadline pass and nobody's died. No city's been destroyed. And he gets mad at God. He says, God, why don't you just kill me? I just want to die. This is the biggest disappointment in my life. Why don't you just kill me now? God sends him a, a plant. This little, this little plant that gives him shade from the heat. And he loves this plant. <laughs> I mean, Jonah falls in love with this plant like it's his own kid, you know, and he's just so happy to be under the plant. And then God sends a worm to eat the plant. And Jonah says, what's wrong with you? It's not enough. Not enough that you let the Nazis live. Now you got to do this to me. You're a jerk, man. Once again, I ask you, will you just kill me now? And God says, why are you so angry? You killed my plant. He goes, you knew that plant for a day. And it's only a plant. He says, don't you think I care about these people that I created? Don't you think I love them? You love the little plant. I love these people. And the book ends kind of weird. <laughs> If you've read the book of Jonah, it doesn't end with Jonah going, you're right. It just kind of ends. But that's in the old covenant. Guys, this is before Jesus came. This is before the blood of Jesus washed people white as snow. This is a that, that God. His forgiveness and his mercy. And Jesus says, when you do this, you're, 
you're taking on the nature of your Father. You're becoming sons of God. Now, by Jesus' blood, you've already been adopted into his family, sons and daughters of a king. But when you acted out, you were living out your sonship. You get on your knees and you pray. I want you to consider all the people that you've just said, the best thing for us is if I just don't think about you anymore. The best thing for us is if I just put some distance between us. And I want you to consider that there's a little bit further you could go. We sang this morning, draw me a little closer, take me a little deeper. Can I tell you, there's deeper than that. There's better than that. You see, if you repay evil for evil, you just get further into the evil. But the Bible says there is a way to overcome evil. If you repay evil for evil, you have more evil. If you leave it alone, it might stay the same. It might grow worse, but at least you're not a part of it. But the Bible says overcome evil with good. There's no force in the universe stronger than the love of God. And I'm not talking about some, some passive, I just don't want to cause a scene. I just don't want to step into a, into a fight. That, I, I'm not talking about that kind of attitude. I'm talking about the attitude that Jesus had. It's not a wimpy attitude. It's not an attitude that says, oh, I just don't want to fight, so <laughs> I'll leave it alone. The attitude that Jesus had said, go ahead. I'll take the blows. I'll take the hit. I'll take the bullets. You go ahead. I'll put my life down for you. You see, in this day and age, if you walk away from a fight, you might be called a wimp, right? But you can't call Jesus a wimp. Because what he did was not walk away from the fight. What he did was bear your sins. Take the most brutal punishment mankind has known. That's what Jesus did. That's the strength that he had. It's not weak to turn around and go back to the people that hate you. It's not weak to bless them and to pray for them. It's not weak to love like Jesus loves. That's the strongest thing you can ever do. As I said earlier about Patrick, there was a man who had every reason to hate the Irish. They made him a slave. They came into his room at night, took him out of bed, dragged him onto a boat, and took him to be a slave. Imagine all that time for anger to grow in you. Instead, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he learned that God cares for these barbarians and pagans. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to preach the gospel that saved me to save them. You've been put on this earth as a radical disruptor. We are the resistance. You are so different from the world system that the world will never know what to think of you. Jesus said, these ones that you've given to me, they're no more of the world than I am. They're no more defined by the world than I'm defined by the world. They're in this world, but they're not of it. Don't be surprised when your worldview goes head on with everything you've known before. Embrace it. Embrace the radical gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just saying, well, be passive. No, don't be passive. 
Be aggressive in your love. Be aggressive in your prayer and pray that they're saved. Pray that they repent. Pray that they're forgiven. Pray that they are shown mercy. It's not some pinko commie thing I'm telling you right now. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an old story about two tribes that were fighting, two native tribes that were fighting, and a man who sought to bring peace and went between the two tribes and stuck out his arms. And as they were shooting arrows at each other, he stuck out his arms and absorbed the arrows of both sides. See, that's the kind of thing that Jesus did for us. Not, not these sit at the back and go, you know, you probably shouldn't fight, but instead stand in the middle and take the blows. You guys, you're strong enough for this. I want you to consider that even an angry man like Jonah, without really passionately even wanting people to believe his message, can you imagine preaching to a bunch of people and not wanting them to believe what you said? Even a guy like that, when the Lord gave him the words to say, saw a nation turn. Now the next generation went back to their old ways. That does, not, that does not get rid of the fact that a whole city that was as evil as evil got turned to the Lord. If that guy can do that, what can you do when you actually want people to listen? What can your prayers do? How can they change a situation? The blessing of the Lord changes people. And he put the blessing on your lip to bless them. I want you to consider what that means. You're actually supposed to pray that they're blessed. Not just pray that they say they're sorry. Not just pray that they come and see the error of their ways. Pray that they're blessed. Pray that God opens their eyes. Pray that they're embraced by the Father. If we live this out, we're going to see change in every area of your life. And it won't just change those people, it will change you. This gospel's too big for us just to share it with the people we like. This gospel's too big for us to just say, well, there are a certain group of people I'm comfortable with. God's going to send you to people that, that, that you are uncomfortable with, that you do not want to be around, that you want nothing to do with. But I'm telling you, you're bringing the Spirit of God with you. You're bringing the power of God with you. You're bringing the love of God with you. And I believe that signs and wonders follow them that preach the Word. I believe that signs and wonders follow them that believe. And the first sign and wonder that they'll see is a person that's supposed to hate them who is actively loving them. Thank God. Thank God. He made you ministers of fire. He made you sons and daughters of the living God. He made you evangelists with his word, sharper than any two-edged sword on your mouth. What do you have to be afraid of? As the scripture says, the Lord is my helper. What do I have to be afraid of? What can man do to me? And you see it in the book of Acts. As you follow the apostles and they go back 
and they go and minister to the very people that wanted them dead. The first, as I said a, a couple services ago, the first message they preach is in front of a city that hated them, is in front of the people, the very people that said, crucify Jesus Christ, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Those are the first people to get the gospel. If you want to know what God's like, look at that. Look at Jesus on the cross, forgiving the people while they're doing it, not waiting till he cools down, not squeezing his little stress ball, but as he's being tortured, as he's being put to death, he says, Father, forgive them. This is the gospel we believe in. It's got to be real to us. Guys, if you're in, living in a a reality like Patrick had when he was a teenager where you just show up at church, but it's not changing your life. Wake up because you've got so much more inside of you. There's so much better for you. God's got a plan for you. And I'm not just saying that in the cliche, God's got a better plan for you. I'm telling you he has a plan for you. And it's time to wake up and follow that plan because it's bigger than you've ever imagined. And it's more powerful than anything you've ever seen when a person surrenders their will to God and says, wherever you say go, that's where I'm going to go. Can we be passionate and radical in our love for Jesus and our love for the world? I'm an exile and a stranger amongst barbarians and pagans because God cares for them. Because God cares for them. As Philippians says, he has put you in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the universe.